So imagine that your son or daughter has just gotten their driver's license and uh, they're out and about and you get a phone call. Uh, Dad, or mom, as the case may be, uh, the car's broken down, it won't run. What's the first question you're going to ask them? Did you put, did you put, what you do? Did you saw the muffler off? No. Um, did you, did you not put gas in it? Is it all empty, right? And, uh, and they're like, yeah, I went into, I went, it's totally full. I'm sorry, man. Um, I went into the gas station and, and there was a, a hose there. And uh, I don't know why it was free, but I filled it up completely and it was on full. And uh, yeah, and you realize, oh, they filled it up with water instead. They probably wondered why they didn't get charged for that, right? Now, I know that's completely ridiculous, right? No, nobody would do something that dumb. That couldn't possibly happen. But, uh, you know, I think it's obvious that there is a difference between full in a good sense and full in a bad sense. Think of the prodigal son. He was off in the far country. He had squandered all of his money. You remember that guy? He's out there, gone through it all. And uh, so he takes a job feeding pigs. And he come, becomes, there's a famine in the land. He becomes so starved that he wants to fill his stomach with the seed pods that they gave to the pigs. And that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have gone very far. It might have filled him, but it wouldn't have really filled him in terms of his real need. Sometimes you hear people say, Oh, that person's life is so full. They live such a full life. That's always supposed to be a good thing, right? You know, I'm not sure that's true. Hitler had a full life. I mean, Mussolini had a full full life. Uh, That guy from Silence of the Lambs, I don't remember his name. He had a full life. But there's full and there's full. So my real question today as you think about this, as we work through the materials, we look at what Paul regards as a full life, I want you to be thinking about your life. What constitutes your fullness? Yeah, where have you, where and how have you filled yourself? So this is the big idea today. Pray unceasingly to be, to be filled of God. From God, with God, of God. Yeah, that's, that's the big idea. Before we uh, jump headfirst into this, I want you to remember that this is Paul. He's writing to the church at Colossae, and there is a problem right there in River City. There's a problem um, in the congregation. There are false teachers, and he's, he's writing against those. I'm really indebted to G.K. Uh, Beale. I'm sure you've probably never heard of G.K. Beale, but he is a New Testament scholar. And uh, his book on this has been really helpful, especially when he draws in Old Testament references. I find this very helpful to me. And, uh, and he, he, he notes that there's a lot of connection within the book to the temple, uh, to passages of the Old Testament that relate to the temple. We'll kind of uncover this as we go along. But part of his thesis is, is that the people that are, that are misleading them, the, the false teachers in Colossae, are kind of this weird like Jewish slash Christian slash mystic kind of weird, uh, weird thing. And it seems that, that they were teaching the ordinary Christians at Colossae that they weren't good enough the way they were. You're not okay with just faith in Christ. You're not okay in, in that. What you really need are these other things, and we can fill it up. We can get you full of the kinds of things that you need to be full of. And if you go the way we go, and you do the rituals, and you follow this, and you do these rules, and you keep these things, and, and you treat your body harshly with ascetic practices and so forth, you may enter into the sort of heavenly temple and, 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 and commune with angels and have all these visions. 
decisions, and then you'll really have a full Christian experience. That seems to be kind of the background, if you will. That's kind of a caricature of what we think was going on there. Uh, What they were definitely doing was taking them away from the all-sufficiency of Christ. So instead of being really filled of God, filled of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were adding to him all these other things. One more thing before we push off here. Uh, You say, haven't we already done that? No, we haven't really gotten that. But (laughs) one more thing I want to point out to you is all the words in the passage today that deal with the idea of fullness, that deal with the idea of full or, or of completeness, of capacity, of reaching capacity. So look at this just real quickly if you've got your, your Bibles there. In verse 9, uh, that you may be filled, you may be fiddled, there's that word. Um, then all spiritual wisdom, not a little, not half, not three quarters, all spiritual wisdom. Verse 10, fully pleasing, not partly pleasing, fully pleasing. Every good work increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, all power, all endurance. Are you seeing a lot of uh, patterns there? Like Paul is really concerned that they have the complete fullness of God. There is a wrong kind of filling, which the false teachers were pushing, full of man-made rules and rituals, and there was the right sort of filling that Paul really wants them to have. It's not that he doesn't want them to be full. He just wants them to be full of the right things. So here's Paul's prayer. Here's where it kicks off. He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what is the first kind of filling that we're talking about here? Pray that you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will. Paul's not against knowledge. Uh, sometimes you'd think he was, and sometimes people latch on to things Paul says about knowledge, and they, they deride the idea of knowledge. It is true, Paul says, that knowledge puffs up, so there's a certain kind of head knowledge that just makes you proud. He says, love builds up. But Paul was not against teaching. I suspect that the false teachers boasted of a kind of knowledge, a kind of secret knowledge, a kind of mystery religion phenomenon You know, in the ancient world, there were a lot of mystery religions, and they always took, you had to go in deeper and deeper. Think Scientology. Have you ever heard Scientologists talk about Scientology? Good thing that we're not live, or YouTube would probably block us, you know, because those Scientology, you know. But no, if you you notice, like, uh, if you hear people talk about the experience, you just keep going deeper and deeper, and you just have to keep achieving levels, and then they tell you more secrets, and then you go a little deep into the hill. And Mormonism's that way. You know, you have to become a Mormon full on before you can go into the temple. And Freemasonry, same idea, you know, all these things hold that in common. And that's probably what was going in Colossae, that they were trying to you know, that they were supposed to get into that, that secret knowledge. Godly knowledge, the knowledge that comes from God is much different because it always leads to practical implications. There's always a, a life practice that, that, and you'll see this throughout the letters of, of Paul, that it will always begin with the, what we might call abstract, but these big ideas about God. And those are important. We need those. We need that foundation. But he always flows out of um, you know, that, that doxology, if you will, into the, into the practical theology of how we are to live that out. He amplifies this by saying, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Um, what does that mean? How many don't immediately know what that means when he says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding? That's kind of a little, like, maybe not 100% clear. 
Here again, I really think Beale helps it a lot. I don't think I would have seen this, but he points out something interesting. And, and you wouldn't necessarily see it popping out at you in the English completely, but in the underlying Greek, the, the words that are used by Paul here have a reference in the Greek Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but the people in Jesus' day often read the Greek translation. And there's an interesting corollary in the Old Testament, almost identical wording in several places. And in each place where it's used, it's always talking about the same phenomenon. And that is when the temple, first the tabernacle, and then the temple were being built. Do you remember that, those instances? Writing about the craftsmen that were going to have to construct the tabernacle and then the temple... Here in this passage, I'm going to read it. It was uh, Bezalel um, that, that we're talking about. It says, and I have, this is God speaking, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. Now, there's a lot of overlap of language that's actually taking place there. And so, what, what is he saying? Well, in, in its original reference, he's saying that these men, Aholiam, uh, Bezalel, Hiram, in the case of the tabernacle, that God gave the Spirit to them and enabled them with his, his spiritual input there to be able to create and, and make the tabernacle and then form the temple. You say, well, what, is that, what does that have to do with us then? What is, what is the application of? For the church at Colossae. Well, think about this for a moment. If you bring this language over, it's as if Paul is saying to the Colossians, in the same way that the people who built the temple of God and built the tabernacle, in the same way that they needed God's spirit and God's understanding and God's wisdom to appropriately build those places in which God was going to be rightly worshipped, so too I pray that you have that same spirit that you are inclined in those same ways and have that same kind of spiritual wisdom to understand what it's like to live out the Christian life. Yeah? The false teachers had answers. This is how you live the Christian life. You keep these rules. You do these things. You make these things happen. And, and, and if you do that, you'll just ascend to higher and higher levels. And maybe you'll be talking to angels in the heavenly temple before it's all over. But wait on that. We'll see. Yeah? And Paul's like, I just want you to have the Spirit of God, so that you will walk in a manner worthy and fully pleasing to him. That's, that's in, in uh, 10a. The purpose of knowing God's will from verse 9, comes out in verse 10, is to walk worthy. Knowledge isn't just so that we can puff out our chest. I mean, I love, I love the idea of going deeper and reading and learning and spending time. And if you can, and you can go back into the original languages and do all that stuff. That, that is wonderful. But ultimately, the, the, the question is, does the rubber meet the road? Does that knowledge which God can give us, does it translate into walking worthy? Let me suggest a, a couple quick applications. First, on the individual level. Did you know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Individual Christians, you are, you are a temple. And like Aholiab and Bezalel and Hiram, we are to ask the question, and I hope you ask this question, what is this temple of God supposed to look like? And I'm not talking about the outward look. Because yeah? some of us are hosed on that deal. Um, no, I'm talking about 
what does, what does my life look like? What, do, what is the living out? If God dwells in me, what do I want them to see? How is Christ to be formed in me and to be shown forth? We want to be so filled with the knowledge and wisdom of, of God that God is honored and glorified in our life. I think we've all known people, or known ourselves. Let's, let's, let's not worry about the people that we know that are like this. Let's just worry about ourselves. How many times have you had really good words about God and really good knowledge about God, but how you honored God in your body the way you were supposed to didn't come quite through in the same way? Well, those two were not, in, not coordinated. Yeah? Not agreeing with one another. So often that is the cons- case. Consider the church congregation as a temple. In the same way that we, we are temp- temples, the church as a whole is a temple. If you go from 1 Corinthians 6, um, where, where Paul says that to the individual Christian, you go to 1 Corinthians 3, and Paul says to the church that God dwells in you, the, in you, the congregation. We together are that. So that raises the question, how, and I love this question because I'm a pastor. How do we, if, if this is parallel to Aholiab and Bezalel and Hiram, how do we as church leaders, how do we as pastors, elders, how do we as a congregation build the church the way the church is meant to be built, where God dwells and God is glorified? You know, Paul warns people about building with wood, hay, and stubble. And I think what he's saying when he talks about that is you just, just build it any old way and you don't care and you're not, and you, and, and you're not really allowing God to, to build it the way God wants to build it. But if we build it the way we're supposed to, we're supposed to build with costly materials. I fear there are a lot of, and you know, Paul brings it to the judgment day and says, you know, the judgment day will reveal whether, whether we built well with fine things or whether we built with wood, hay, and stubble. And if that's the case, it'll be burned. All the man's works, man, you know, that trusts in Christ, he's still going to be in heaven, but the church he built or helped build, yeah, that, that, that won't go to his credit because it wasn't built as it was supposed to be. Now, Aholiab and Bezalel and others built everything with artistic creativity, which we like to hear that, right, because we like to be creative. But from the pattern that was given Moses when he was on the mountain. Isn't that interesting? You bring, bring that into thinking about the church. We are at liberty to bring some creativity to bear. And we see wonderful creativity in God gifting people with his spirit to do certain things. And no two churches look 100% the same. And yet, if we're going to do it the way God wants so that it glorifies him, we have to do it according to the pattern that has been given to us by the spirit, by the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, right? Yes. So as a church, we want to be about those things. We want to be concerned that we are building in that proper, proper way. Okay, second half of the prayer is um, a request regarding the, the working out of that first principle. So go back to verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Fully pleasing to him. So pray to walk worthy and pleasing to him. And I know you love grammar. Boy, it got quiet. Um, I know you love grammar. There, just really quickly, there, Paul rattles off. And sometimes the grammar in a passage will really help you kind of see where the pegs of thought are. And in this passage, he rattles off four present 
participles. You remember present participles from high school English and all that good stuff. Well, anyway, uh, in English, I'm just going to make it simple because there's a lengthier explanation. But, but we use ing as an ending in English to, to, to get across a participle. So run is a verb, but then the participle, present participle, be running. And there are four of these that define what it means to be pleasing to the Lord. We're going to look at three of them. Part of that is just a time factor, but I'll give you them real quickly. Uh, You don't have to write them down because we're going to hit them as we go along, but they are bearing fruit, and there's that I-N-G word, bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge, being strengthened, and giving thanks. So let's look at those top three. First of all, pray to bear fruit in every good work. Pray to bear fruit in every good work. If a believer is genuinely filled with the knowledge of God's will, it will lead inevitably, if it's true, if it's a true plant, if the tree's good, as Jesus says, then it will inevitably lead to spiritual fruit, which is also referred to as every good work. It says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. What does this look like? Well, bearing fruit in every good work work. I met a lady once, uh, of the wife of a seminarian. You say, what's a seminarian? You go to pastor school, that's seminary, fellow guy, fellow student. I, I don't know, was, I was maybe helping him move a couch or something. Anyway, I met his wife, and somehow in the conversation, she told me all about the fact that before she became a Christian, she had been really deep into the whole New Age thing, little Hinduism, transcendental meditation. She, she, did, she did the whole yoga, deep, deep you know, meditation, hours a day. She said, I spent hours a day meditating. I said, well, what do you think about that now as you look back? And she said, you know, at the time it felt good and stuff, but she said, I, I look back at that now and I realize that that whole thing was so selfish and self-centered. She said, the only concern as I understood that practice was for me to approach God in that way. For me to, well, not even God, you know, but, but the, the consciousness or whatever. And it was all about me reaching nirvana. I didn't have to do, I didn't care what was happening to people around me. They had to go their own path, but it was just about me. That's what she said she realized. We, in contrast, when we are filled with the knowledge of God, and, and we will end up bearing good fruit, which will work itself out in good works. We need to pray that our knowledge of God will actually please him and will lead to us doing good. The minute I say that, some Christians get a little wary. (laughs) What? I have to bring forth good works? And then they start fruit inspecting, and they're like, I don't know here how I'm doing. You know, some people really get negative if they think about their own fruit bearing capacity and that's that's understandable do you know that charles haddon spurgeon the great preacher if there was ever a fruitful christian minister that was him do you know that he actually had times these pangs of conscience where he thought that he was like the the dead branch in the vine that gets cut away and thrown into the fire He literally thought that about himself at points. He just suffered from... So some people are just a little on the depressive side to begin with and maybe overly negative when they look at their life. And, of course, we all know the opposite extreme. It's the person who just goes, you know, well, compared to that guy over there, you know, I'm doing pretty good. (laughs) At least I'm not down at the bar drinking my paycheck away every week. And they they pat themselves on the back and they think, well, I'm I'm doing really well. And maybe they aren't at all. 
So what we want to do is we don't want to go toward pride. We don't really want to go toward despair. Where we want to go is to our knees. Because this is a prayer, isn't it? This is a prayer. Now, it's, it's from Paul to God for the Colossians, but it's, it's a legitimate prayer that we should be praying. A little healthy introspection goes a long way, but we need to pray that God would cause you and I to have spiritual wisdom and understanding so that will then translate into good deeds. Don't grow weary in doing good, the Bible says. We are to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is just part of who we are supposed to be. So it's right that the knowledge of God should translate into good fruit. Yeah? That's not revolutionary, is it? But it's, but it's something we need to see. Pray to increase in the knowledge of God. Pray to increase in the knowledge of God. Verse 10, it says, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And at this point, you might think, well, is Paul, is he being redundant here? Didn't he start the prayer asking that they would be filled with, with the knowledge of God's will, and now, and now he's praying that, that, that they will increase in knowledge. That almost seems like the same thing, doesn't it? Like, can you differentiate between the two? Well, for one thing, there's, there's a difference between being filled and increasing. Yeah? I remember when I was a kid, I used to love donuts. Who doesn't? How many love donuts in here? I just want to see if I'm in a minority. Okay, all right, you like donuts. We seem to get rid of most of the donuts on any given Sunday morning. But Concannon's Bakery, Muncie, Indiana, Saturday mornings. A lot of times my mom would take me to the bakery. And, oh, I can, I can literally still smell it. Just thinking about it, I can smell the exact smell of what it was to walk in there. How many have ever been to just a beautiful bakery where the yeast and the, oh, and I would go in and I'd be so hungry. It's like, oh, Donut, donut, got to have a donut. It'd take 12 minutes just looking, figuring out what kind of donut I wanted. And then I'd get the donut, and he'd be like, I, 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 I. today it's just, but then it was, I, 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 and I'd get about halfway through the donut, and I'd think, oh my goodness, I'm feeling sick to my stomach. I feel like I've eaten a pound of butter. Like, oh, that's rich. And I'd fight it through, and I'd finish it, because, you know, clean plate of water or whatever. But I, I never could eat a second donut. I mean, today, one donut is prelude, yeah? It's cleansing the palate for the other 11 that are on their way. But, yeah, it's not, you know, filled is not the same thing as filled. Like, filled for a little boy is not the same thing as filled for a a grown man, is it? So, Paul seems to be thinking now, whereas earlier he's talking about being filled with the knowledge of his will. Now he seems to be talking about an expansion. So if a little tree can begin to bear fruit, he's thinking of this tree, as it were, if we're using the metaphor, growing. So we're increasing. We're increasing. Also, and this is, this is kind of interesting to see, where it says growing in the knowledge of God, that can actually potentially be translated by the knowledge of God. So in one sense, he may be saying that having prayed for knowledge, the knowledge of God's will, that we can see that knowledge as contributing to how we then grow in the Christian life. To really just confuse all the metaphors that are, that are here, which I'm good at doing, um, you think about walking. You know, we were told to walk worthy. And, and to, well, if you think of walking as a Christian, in one sense, it is growing in the knowledge 
of God doing God's will. And then out of that, we get kind of, oh, there's some bearing of fruit. And then, and then, and then by that, we start to grow. We start to expand. We start to increase. And then what, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to bear more fruit at that point and more knowledge. And that's, that's kind of a description of the Christian life. So here's the question. Do you see, Christian, do you see forward progress in your life? Do you see that kind of, yeah, mate, might be a little herky-jerky, might be more Frankenstein-like than, you know, something that, that would look really smooth and cool, but um, are you at least lurching forward in your Christian life with some fits and starts and maybe a pause and maybe a stumble, but are you, are you, do you find that God is moving you forward? We ought to be able to see that. Another thing that Beale does that I like is he brings up the uh, mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve when he created them. You remember that mandate before they fell into sin? It was to be fruitful, multiply, and to fill the earth. And, and they kind of failed at all that. Jesus Christ as the second Adam comes along. And it's as if this mandate in the original creation is lifted up and transported and placed upon the new creation in the church. And so we are to increase and multiply and fill the earth with the good fruit of God's work in us. Third way to express this, walk, this pleasing life is to, it's being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So pray to be strengthened. Pray to be strengthened. Uh, what Paul seems to be speaking about here is the strength to persevere. I mean, endurance is kind of the main key idea there. We sometimes refer to that in theological terminology as, do you know what I'm going to say? Perseverance of the saints, the perseverance of the saints. The good tree is not only increasing in fruit and growing, but it's growing in its capacity to endure. Its roots are going deeper. Paul's going to end up telling the Colossians that they need to drive those roots deep into Christ, being rooted and grounded in him. Paul knows that the Colossians are facing pushback from the world around them, and they're going to get more of that. And so his prayer isn't just, oh, I pray that you'll have strength. He triples down on this. Literally in the Greek, he uses one word twice. He says that that they would be strengthened with strength according to his glorious might. That's how much we need it. God has amazing strength, and we need that amazing strength. We need it, because enduring would not, you won't endure apart from the work of God in you. That's just plain and simple how it is. What is our part, our part in enduring? Well, on the one hand, we need to pray. This comes in the context of prayer, so we should be praying for that. Endurance means that, well, you think of endurance competitions. Think of a marathon. What does it mean to endure? It means that you start. It means that you finish. It means that there's a long point, you know, a long race in between. And you're at some point between here and there, but, but enduring is to continue and not give up. With patience, now patience, uh, patience isn't that hard to understand, except it's totally different than the way we use it. How do you use patience? Well, I'm running out of patience. My goodness, I've been in this gas line for five minutes. I, you know, when am I going to finally be able to get gas in my car? That's patience. In our, no, patience actually biblically means to bear with mistreatment. To bear with mistreatment. So your, your picture here is of people holding their faith in Christ, enduring, not giving up, 
while they're being persecuted. But here's the kicker. What does it say? With joy. With joy. And that is the hard part. This is the testimony of the whole scripture. You cannot escape this if you start to read the New Testament. It begins right away. Jesus tells us this early on, doesn't he? He says that we should rejoice when we suffer. When we suffer persecution for his name's sake. We should be exceedingly glad. You're like, Jesus, I think you're, you're kind of alone on that. Well, then James turns around and he basically says, Count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into diverse trials and testing. Which he says eventually, as, as you follow it in the logic, ends up with steadfastness. And then what does Paul say? Paul says, Rejoice in suffering. What does it produce? Endurance. Endurance, yeah. So we have, to, we, we have to put up with suffering. We should have joy because we know that suffering is working something good in us. When we deal with trial and t- t- temptation and testing, that is working a good thing in us. I've been told, and I don't know that this is 100% true, so I'll just lay it out there with that proviso. But, you know, you, when you have a woods, which is a funny English way of saying, you know, a woods, but yeah. Okay, you know what I mean, right? A little tiny forest out in the middle of a field. And it's, and it's got nothing protecting it. There's no mountains. There's nothing. It's just sitting there in the middle of a field. I've been to, and, and it's exposed to wind. Say it's, we'll put it in Kansas to really, although whoever sees the woods out here. But, um, but I've been told that um, the, the trees on the perimeter of that woods will grow deeper roots. Why? Because they're the first line of defense. When the wind is blowing, that hard Kansas wind, or when those storms roll through, if their roots aren't deep, they fall over. But in contrast, the trees inside the interior that have shallower roots because they don't face the wind. So one of the dumb things that you supposedly can do is go out and just cut the perimeter of your woods all at one time. Well, I'm going to get some wood today, some good firewood, and you just cut away the whole perimeter. Because apparently the next time a good storm rolls through, things start falling over because the roots aren't deep. We need endurance. We need endurance, and God has to work that in us. So we need to get our mentality turned around that when these trials and testings come, not to lose heart. Not to think, oh, you know, I must be doing something wrong because I'm suffering. No, this is the way God works endurance in us. Many years ago, uh, a friend of mine was part of a singing group in Denmark. I've probably told this story before, so those of you who've heard it, forgive me. But anyway, he and his uh, wife and a couple, another couple, they were traveling through Denmark singing with this Christian organization. And they were being put up in various homes, uh, host families. When they would come to a city to sing in the schools, they would have a host family. You get the picture, right? And uh, they'd just come to a new city, and uh, they'd met their host family, and they would get, and the, what, what do you really miss about America? And they went, oh, we really miss pizza. You know, the great American pizza. Um, uh, they hadn't really had much of that in, in Europe so far. And, uh, and these people took it to heart and you know, tucked it away. Well, that, that day they went to a school and they performed. Well, on their way to the school, they passed a pizza hut. And so they thought, oh, let's go to the Pizza Hut afterward. And they went in afterward. And you can imagine, you haven't had pizza for a few months. And they're just like stuffing themselves as full as they can get with the pizza. And they go home to the host family who are waiting up for them. Having prepared for them a Danish pizza. Understand, my friend Keith, 
He hated Danish cheese. There was this ordinary, everyday cheese in Denmark that they referred to as school cheese. And I don't know what school it had been to, but it had flunked. And he couldn't, he couldn't bear to eat it. And he came in, and here they had lovingly made pizza with school cheese. Yeah? And I said, what did you do? What did you do? He said, Jay, I just smiled and thanked them, and I forced myself to eat as much of that pizza as I could get down. And when I finally got to a certain point, I excused myself, and I went to the restroom. And the good pizza, along with the bad pizza... Both were gone. Yeah, he, expelled, he expelled both of them. You're like, why are you telling us this gross story? I think you may already be on to me, you know, if you're tracking with me this morning. It is hard to fill yourself with good things if, if you've already filled yourself with other things. And so when people say, oh, he lives such a full life, is that good? I don't, I don't know what what have you filled yourself with? And I'm not preaching this to say you should feel guilty that, that, that you have activities and that you are engaged in certain things. But the primary question is what have you filled yourself with first? What have we filled ourselves with? We want to pray for a filling that matters. For a fullness that God recognized. We should pray for that. We should pray for a fullness of his knowledge in order to do his will. We want to live in a way that is, would be described as fully pleasing. How many feel that way? That God would look at your life and say, wow, that life is fully pleasing to me. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit. Are we bearing fruit in every good work? Are we growing in and by the knowledge of God? Are we growing as we are going through hardship? Are we patient when we are persecuted? Are we enduring with joy? We can't get there on our own. We have to be strengthened with the strength of God's glorious might. So pray for that. Pray for that strength. Pray for that filling. If you don't have Christ today, we want to offer him to you because the good news of Jesus Christ is that God, among other parts of the good news, God can fill your life. And he can fill you. If you're apart from Christ, there's a certain sense that you probably recognize that your life in one sense is meaningless and pointless. You say, well, that's a harsh thing to say. No, seriously, if you believe that the universe is the way, you know, some people think of it and you're just random and all that and you just live for this little blip of time, what does it really matter? But the eternal God, when he gets a hold of you, when you come to him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ said, I came to give them life and to give it abundantly. Abundantly. That means a full and satisfying life. So if you repent and you turn to Jesus Christ, who died for sinners on the cross, was buried, rose the third day, if you come to him and put your trust in him, you will not only be saved, but you will come into union with Christ. And then in him, grafted into him, your life will start to bear fruit. And you will start to live in a way that is pleasing to his Father. Come to him today and let him fill you with his goodness. Let's pray. Father, we have had a very full service today, and it has been uh, a good thing. Lord, to, to see two young people that have acknowledged their faith, their trust in Christ, their desire to walk with him. Thank you so much for the baptisms today. Lord, thank you for your word. 
We thank you, Lord, that if we build according to the pattern which you have given us, that that we can know that, that we will bear fruit and it will be fruit that will last and, Lord, that, that by your Spirit in us, we can, we can begin to grow, expand, bear fruit, grow not in the knowledge of you, bear more fruit. Lord, in this way, Lord, we can uh, live lives that are worthy of Christ by your doing, not our own. And we pray that the, that the doing and preaching of the gospel today would have its outworking as well, that it would fall on good soil, on receptive hearts, And that there might even be one today who would hear it and turn to you and be saved and then filled. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.